All right, church, Titus chapter 3, we are starting the final chapter here in this instructions for the church. Titus chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, please grab a Bible. There are some right in front of you, and if you would like to take that as a gift, we'd be happy to give it to you. If you pull it up on your phone, that's fine. If you pull it out uh, in a physical copy, I think that's better. You can make notes in your Bible, but I want to make sure that you follow along as we study God's Word this morning. We have uh, the privilege of praying for a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Andrew Abair. He pastors at Moberly Baptist Church in Longview, Texas. Uh, Pastor Andrew is a rich encouragement to me. We got to know each other when we were both very, very young in ministry. And uh, God's taken us to different places and doing different things. He's an incredibly influential young leader among Um, the Southern Baptist Convention and outside of our denomination. And he called me this week just to check in. How are things in Wimberley? And I said, Andrew, I'd love to pray for you before I preach. I'd love to pray for what's going on at Moberly. He's preaching in Exodus 20 on the Ten Commands. And this morning is do not murder. So he has quite the task this morning as he preaches. But I love the wisdom. This is such a nugget of wisdom. I said, what's one prayer request for the church that God has called you to lead. This is what he said, and I want to read it because I don't want to mess it up. He said, pray this, that at Moberly Baptist Church, our focus would not be using people to see the church grow, but using the church to see people grow. And you could sit on that for a little bit. You can write that one down. Pray for our church in the same way. Here's his prayer request, that that their focus would not be using people to see the church grow, but use the church to see people grow. Let's pray for the saints, our brothers and sisters in Longview, and then we will uh, ask God to teach us as well from Titus chapter three. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we are uh, under your authority, but it is good to be under your authority because of your faithfulness, your loving kindness, because of your goodness, your love for us that we've just sang about. I don't want to be under anyone else's authority but yours because you are so good to me. You're good to us. Would you be good to us in showing us things? Make the word come alive as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, that it be living and active for us this morning. But we pray something very similar for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Marbury Baptist Church. And I pray for Pastor Andrew as he walks through Exodus 20 multiple times this morning. Would you give him endurance? Would you give him confidence, not in his ability, but in your ability to change hearts? Holy Spirit, would you drop down on that place that people would walk out differently than they walked into church? And very specifically, to honor his request, Lord, that you would teach the saints there for their focus not to be on using people to see the church grow, but using the church to see people grow and grow in Christ and grow up to maturity. I think of what Paul said in Colossians 1, that his aim is to present every man mature in Christ. Would that kind of maturing uh, be happening all over the church across all ages, senior saints and in the children's ministry? God, would you be doing a great thing of of growing and sanctifying, conforming those Christians into the image of Christ in such a way that the church couldn't help but grow as a natural response? Just focus their perspective and focus their priority to be loving you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving others well. And I pray that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Have you ever heard this phrase? Be in the world, but not of it. You heard that one before? It really breaks down this idea that we as Christ followers should be influencing those around us. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. That, that the world and its ways and the brokenness that we see the world heading in a downward spiral is not influencing us, rather we're influencing it. Be in the world and not of the world. Um, sometimes I think as Christians we forget that we're supposed to be making a change that we're supposed to be seeing the culture around us change. That was the command in the garden, right? Subdue the culture, have dominion over it, right? Subdue the land. We, we should have this influence. And so as we look at Titus chapter three, verse one through seven, what I think we'll see is that not only did the Titus two generation of older and younger and bond servants uh, have the responsibility to display godliness, but every Christian has a responsibility to display godliness to the world. Let's look at it here. Titus chapter three, the first seven verses. Read along as you follow me. Titus three, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus is told to remind the people that he's teaching, remind them, right? There in chapter two, verse 15, was Paul encouraging, spurring on Titus to declare these things. And now he's giving some of the things to remind the church here in Crete. If we're gonna do a good job displaying our godliness to the world, we must remember some things. Titus was told to remind them, I think we're studying this book and we sit under it. And I say, as a preacher of God's word, it's my chance now to remind you of who you are to remind you of what you're called to. And so we're gonna see in the text a few things we should remember. Here's the first, write it down. Remember the world is watching you. Amen. Remember the world is watching. Right there, uh, we're seeing this remind them. It's the thought that they had already been taught some things, they just need to remember them, church. I just am curious, <clears throat> how many of you have been taught that before the world's watching? Anyone? Yes? You've been taught that? How many of you forget it? Right here. Remind them. Remember that the world is watching. There's a, a country song. I feel really old sometimes when I reference music now. I know that's relative. I get it. But this song came out in like the mid-2000s. It's almost 20 years old. But it's a country song that I really love. 
Uh, I'm not going to sing it. I did enough of that last week. This country song by Rodney Atkins, my kids listen to it all the time. It's called I've Been Watching You, right? Let me walk you through the chorus. It's this little boy singing about his dad. I've been watching you, dad ain't that cool. I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. I like fixing things and holding mama's hands. We're just alike, dad, ain't we, dad? I want to be, I want to do everything you do, right? I messed up that end a little bit. It's this idea that this little boy wants to be just like his dad. And so if you know the song, man, this is where it's going to prick your heartstring. See, what happens is uh, his dad's driving down the road and his four-year-old says a four-letter word because he spilled his orange drink from McDonald's. And he's like, how did you learn that word, son? You know the answer? I've been watching you, dad. <laughs> ain't, ain't that cool? <laughs> I'm your buckaroo. I just want to be like you. I want to do all the things you do. I don't want to say what you say. Oh, man. But then the next verse is about how he, he stumbles upon his son with knees bent at the side of his bed, praying to God, talking to God like he was a friend. He says, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? I've been watching you. I want to be like you. I'm your buckaroo. Dad, ain't that cool? See, as parents, we get that, right? Kids are watching our behavior. What I want you to see, church, is if you're a Christian and you've told your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends that you're a Christian, that means they're watching you. Remember that the world is watching and Jesus taught us that we should be salt and light and people should see our good deeds and that should make them glorify God who is in heaven. How are the things that you are doing, the ways that you are living, the decisions that you're making influencing the world around you? Because they're watching. Well, Titus is reminded of several areas where the world is watching. Because the world is watching, we're commanded to watch our life and testimony in the following four areas. Here's the first. The way we're subject to the government. You see that in verse 1? Be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I've not lived in Wimberley long, but there's a new light at Winters Mill and Old Cow Road, 3237. I'm coming into church this morning. It's blinking red, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to blow. It's like a right hand. I can blow right through that thing. And then this text comes up in my mind. <laughs> be submissive to the Rulers and authorities. Somebody thought it was a good idea to put that light there. It will probably save my daughter's life when she starts driving. I want to be grateful for it. <laughs> how, how are you subject to the government? We're reminded in, in Romans 13, it's a classic passage. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. Verse four, for he is God's servant for your good. I will never preach politics from this pulpit. I will only preach the Bible. I assume there's some people in the room that are not very happy with our current political climate. Now, if you better say amen to that, you better be amen into the scripture, church. <laughs> How is it 
that when people hear you talk about the current political leadership, or people hear you potentially complain and begrudge, what kind of testimony does that give your witness to Christ? Now granted, I've preached here before, Acts chapter five, verse 16. We must obey God rather than man. If the government is telling us to do something that's against the scripture, we take a stand, right? We are Christians and we stand on the word. But if it's not that, if it's just something that we get so frustrated and get so entangled and get so upset about, and it's not something that we say, I've got to obey the scripture. It's just something we don't like because it's not on our agenda or our political side of the aisle. How do you respond? Is it like this, Titus? Be subject to the rulers and authorities? Or is it complaining, disagreements, frustration? Here's the question. Is the world hearing you complain more about our president or current leadership more than they're hearing you pray for them? Because we're commanded in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for our leaders. I didn't mean to step on your toes. If that's happening, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the Bible. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. And the world is watching at how we do that. And if we do that well and say, I don't agree with everything, but that's the leader that God's put in place. So until they tell me to do something that's not in the Bible, I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna do my best to keep my attitude in check. Then the world's watching that. Or if you act like everyone else is going crazy, the world's watching that. The world's watching that in the way that we're subject to rulers and authorities. Number two, in the way that we serve the community. Did you see this? Be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. It seems to be a theme, right? In verse eight, it's mentioned. In verse 14, it's mentioned. Be, every, be ready for every good work. When people think about who you are in the community, in, in the groups that you volunteer with, or the groups that you serve, are you that person that's like first in line? I wanna serve, here I am. I wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. His hands, his feet, thank you, ladies, on Wednesdays. I'm ready to serve. I wanna be known in this community as someone that is ready to give my life, pour it out like a drink offering. Is that the reputation you have in our community? Because Titus says, be ready for every good work. How are you showing yourself to be ready for every good work? We're gonna have a lot of work to do this week, VBS volunteers. Are you ready? And people are watching and those kids are watching. They're watching your attitude. They're watching your service. We're also hosting something three weeks out of the summer called Camp Community. People will be watching. How are you serving? Number three, in the way that you speak about others. Now, this might be interesting for some. How are you speaking about others? Look at it there in the text. Speak evil of no one. I'm guilty. I don't, I don't do this well. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. I'm guilty. <laughs> you want to get me in a debate? Let's go. Avoid it. Avoid that. It says in Ephesians 4, only speak things that build one another up. It says be gentle. Man, the world is watching in the way that we speak to or speak about others. How are you doing, church? How are we doing in the way that we speak to others or speak about others? 
And lastly, I love this. It comes out of verse two. The world is watching in the way that you show true humility. Look at verse two. It's towards the end here. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. That word, that phrase really, perfect courtesy, it's, it's a two word phrase. It could also be translated as show true humility. Show, show true humility. And of course, our, the greatest example of humility is Jesus. Philippians chapter two. Have this mindset of yourselves. Christ put this on and he became humble even to the point of death. That's true humility, Philippians chapter two. Or what about what comes right before it? This is how we're commanded as a church to live. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. If you're in Christ, you can be truly humble. If you're struggling with humility, ask yourself if you're in Christ. How are you showing that kind of humility? The way that we're submissive to rulers and authorities, the way we serve the community, the way we speak to or about others, and the way that we show true humility. And catch this. It's not just towards the people where it's easy. <laughs> it's not just towards the people that we love the most or that we're the friendliest with. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. And this one's hard. I get it. There are certain personality types that just rub you the wrong way. Is that just me? No, right? There are certain people that, that you don't really spend a lot of time with. They don't have a lot in common. In fact, they might have a lifestyle that's completely different than yours. Yet, the Bible says, show true humility or perfect courtesy to all people. All people. No matter their social class or skin color, no matter what language they speak, no matter what ideas they believe, no matter how twisted of a lifestyle they might be living, show perfect courtesy to all people. All people. I want to ask you something. The world's watching you. How are they watching you treat people? I don't care if it's your business partner or your busboy. I don't care if it's a junior associate or the janitor. I don't care if it's a world leader or your waitress. How are you showing perfect courtesy to all people? And I just wonder if the Holy Spirit's getting a hold of you saying, man, if people are watching, that, that means I gotta change some things. I gotta change some things because I wanna represent Christ. I wanna display godliness. I want people to be affected by my words and my actions in a way that's positive, not negative. And guess what? That's why we come here to be reminded, remember these things, remember that the world is watching. And guess what else? When I ask you to come pray at the end of the service, it's your moment. <laughs> It's your moment to come in, in honesty before the Lord and say, God, you know, you know how I treated that person this week. Would you please forgive me? God, you know how I treated that family member that's the black sheep in my family, but I love them. Help me to love them better. That's your chance. Come and get on your knees in repentance. And here's the promise. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all ungodliness. Here's another reminder. 
because the world is watching, if they're watching you fail in one of these areas, you might be standing in the way of the gospel. See, they know you're a Christian. They know you've proclaimed Christ. We had so much fun. We met some friends of ours and we got to go experience the, the theme park of SeaWorld yesterday. And I was around a lot of people. I'm very gregarious, outgoing kind of guy. And I got to, to share the gospel with a lot of people. But if those people turned around and saw me act in a way that wasn't consistent with the gospel that is shared them, I could be putting up a roadblock or a hurdle or a hindrance. And they could easily say, that's why I don't need to follow Jesus because he just talked about Jesus, yet he acted this way. Is there anything in your life right now that's standing in the way of someone else believing and abiding with Christ? It's a challenge for us. So remember the world is watching. Here's something else to remember. Remember who we once were. See, this passage gives us a really bleak picture of who we all once were. I'm reminded of that in, in Ephesians 2 as well. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Did you see some of the language here in verse 3? It's kind of bleak. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and still hating one another. Ouch. We got to look back at our life. We got to look back at the past and look back. Even if you gave your life to Christ when you were a kid and you say, well, I didn't ever do any crazy bad stuff. Think about the crazy stuff you would have done if you didn't love Jesus. Think about the dark, sinful, broken ways you would have tried to find all kinds of joy and fill that God-sized hole in your heart if you didn't love Jesus and realize, man, I was in trouble. I was in trouble. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I, I do some endurance racing, Ironman triathlons. And there are times that I get to a finish line and I walk through the medical tent and there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people one time it was, I was in Lubbock, it was a half Ironman. It was very, very hot. It was dry. The, the course was a lot more difficult than it is now. They changed it up. You had to do like some crazy elevation on the bike. And I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I think there are a hundred people on IV treatments and they're sitting on medical cots in the shade with volunteer nurses and doctors and they're getting this IV. And you know what I think happened? They didn't realize how bad it was until they looked back right? They, they crossed the finish line and they looked back and they were like, oh my goodness, I was blacking out and I'm still running as hard as I can. And so the, the people catch them. They're called catchers at the finish line. They take them to the medical tent and they give them this IV because they didn't realize how bad it was. Church, I wonder if you've stopped to think recently about how bad it was when you lived in your old ways how bad it was, how bad it had gotten. And what we need to do is remember who we once were because that changes our attitude about today. Man, that language is it's pretty bleak. Look at it again. Foolish, disobedient. Man, I'm guilty of both of these. I've been foolish and disobedient. Led astray. Just quickly, man, I, I wish we had more time here. You can write these down. First John 2, 15 and 16. We can be led astray by the world, right? The world and all of its influences, it says in that passage, the world, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life are passing away. The ways of the world are passing away. In your old life, that was influencing you, the world. But also Satan can lead us astray. 
First Peter 5, 8, write it down. First Peter 5, 8 says, Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around, seeking to devour. You know what else can lead us astray? Our own sin. And we need to remember who we once were. We were caught up in the bondage and chains of sin. James chapter 1, verse 13 and through 15, it, it explains this slippery slope. We get caught up in our sin, right? Sometimes our own desire conceives when it gives birth to sin and sin leads us to death is what it says. Go study that passage and remember who you once were. The text goes on. We were slaves to passion and pleasure. Romans 6 gives that idea that that we were slaves to our own sin. Before we could become slaves to Christ, we were slaves to our sin. And then lastly, we're filled with malice, envy, hating one another and hated by others. Man, that's, that's bleak. Like, come on, pastor, why don't you preach something more positive? <laughs> you know why I think Titus was told to remind the church of these things? It's not fun. It is not fun to look back at our old life. It's not fun to remember the guilt and shame of sin. It's not fun to remember the bondage of sin. Yet Titus is commanded to remind them these things. You know why? Because I I think if we genuinely go back and look at that and we're in Christ today, the response is, oh, praise God, I'm not that old man anymore. Praise God, I'm not stuck in sin anymore. I look at this list and I know that's who I was, but in Christ, I'm free and I'm free indeed. That was your chance to say amen louder than when you said amen about politics. I, I, I look back and I remember who I once was because now I know who I am and I am so overwhelmed with gratitude and passion. I'm ready to live for Christ, man. I want Jesus to be on display in my life because I know who I once was and I'm not that person anymore. I'm new in Christ. I'm washed clean. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm made new. You know what else? If we remember who we once were and we can say, man, I was stuck it gives us a compassion for those who are still there today. I remember who I once was. And so because I can think of that and remember that, I am just overwhelmed with a sense of compassion for those who are still there. They're still stuck in brokenness and sin and pain and shame and guilt. They are foolish and disobedient. They're filled with malice and envy. They hate one another and they're hating others. Man, if they just got Jesus, their whole life would be turned upside down. Remember who you once were. Because I think that leads us to this last one. Remember the loving kindness. Remember the loving kindness of God who makes salvation possible. Did you catch that in verse four? There's a huge contrast, by the way. Old life, envy, malice, living in the passions, slave to various passions. Verse four, but, (laughs) but. I like that three-letter word in the English translation. But, (laughs) but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but you should circle that. He saved us. This is the good news of the gospel. In Christ, he saved us. Not because of works done by us and 
righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Remember the loving kindness of God who makes salvation possible. We used to live that way, but God stepped in and made salvation possible. Isn't that good news? Here's where we need to just buckle up a little bit because if you've ever seen me passionate about the gospel, you're gonna see it right now. I may start jumping up and down on this platform. Look at all of this good news about Jesus. Look at just these few verses, how it's jam-packed with these truths of the gospel. Start here with the loving kindness of God. I, I, I can't get over this. The loving kindness of God. Sometimes that's also translated the steadfast love of God. It is a word picture that was used in the Hebrew, okay? Titus is written in Greek originally, but there's an amazing Hebrew word. I'm, I'm not typically so excited about these things, but this is one you need to learn. So I'm gonna say it, you're gonna practice it. You ready? Chesed, you, you got that? You wanna say that? I'm gonna say it one more time. Chesed. I'm going to say it again. Chesed. That is the Hebrew word that means the steadfast love of God. The loving kindness of God is first used in Genesis chapter 24. The servant of Abraham had to go find a wife for Isaac. And he's praying, God, just remember your steadfast love. Be faithful. But you know what the picture actually should make us think of? Genesis 15. When God makes a promise to Abraham, there's this, this huge like um, king's treaty that used to be done where they'd kill animals and split them in two. And the kings would meet in the middle and say, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, I'll be just like these dead animals. If you don't keep your end of the bargain, you'll be just like these dead animals. And what happens in Genesis 15 is the, the image or symbol of God and a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passes all the way through. Abraham doesn't have to meet God in the middle. God is saying, I will be faithful even if you're not. Because I am the God of steadfast love and loving kindness. Hebrews chapter six tells us something very similar. You can read in Hebrews chapter six, it's verse 13. God swore by himself because there was nothing greater to swear by. God swears by his name and God is not a liar. This is the steadfast love, the faithfulness, promise keeping God, the loving kindness of God. God. Now listen, we once were filled with malice and envy, but, but verse four, the goodness and loving kindness of God makes salvation possible for us. The kindness of God, I don't know if you have Romans chapter two memorized, but Romans two verse four says this. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I would not repent if I didn't know that God would be so gracious to me when I come to him. Did you ever think about that? It's this beautiful truth in Romans two that because of God's kindness, that's what leads us to repentance. And we go to the throne and we ask for forgiveness and we turn from sin and trust in him, knowing that he's gonna be good in his character. The kindness and goodness of God, it leads us to repentance. And then we're reminded of the love of God, the loving kindness of God. Did you know Romans 5, 8? God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's so good. We couldn't do it ourselves. The passage reminds us that it's not on our own righteousness. Did you see it? He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. God did that. I didn't do it. God made salvation possible. I didn't do it. Did you do it? No. No. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's not a work as if any man should boast, but a free gift of God. 
Write that down, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's so good. It's such a helpful reminder. We read through this and this little verse right here, just jam-packed with the gospel. Verse four, verse five, verse six. Jesus did it all. He made a way. And God is faithful. His loving kindness, his goodness to us. It reminds us that if we have right doctrine, it leads to right deeds. If we can get excited about the good news of the gospel, then we'll get excited about living that out and putting it on display. Remember the loving kindness of God that makes salvation possible. And then if you didn't get excited about the next line, I don't know what else will get you excited. It says that we are washed, regenerated, and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that was a promise in the Old Testament? That we'd be washed, regenerated, and renewed Ezekiel 36. It was also given to Jeremiah, a very similar promise. Listen to this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So if you didn't get that word picture, outside of Christ, your heart is stone cold, lifeless. Do rocks breathe? No. Are rocks alive? No. Do rocks have beating hearts? No. But what God does in redemption and, and regeneration is he takes out that lifeless, cold, stone heart and puts in a life-filled, beating heart, one that actually lives for him, one that is filled with the Holy Spirit that can walk in his statutes and commands. Now, this is promised in Ezekiel, but it did not happen until Jesus died, rose from the grave, and sent the Holy Spirit. That's when it's available to all. Amen? So we have a chance, church. We have a chance to glory in this good news of the gospel. We remember the loving kindness of God. We remember that it's poured out richly through Jesus Christ. Remember Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit drops down at Pentecost? Now the Holy Spirit's available to anyone who would turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Our great God and Savior makes salvation possible. Now, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going, talking about the good news of the gospel. Did you see this? Look at verse 6. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, man, I could just keep preaching and preaching. These three verses have so much rich truth packed here that we're justified in Christ. I know it's old school, but do you know like when, when a bill got paid and it was like stamped, paid, maybe a CPA's in the room, right? Some accounting, you would stamp it, paid, right? Or an application goes through, the city might still have some antiquated things going on. And you try to like apply for a homestead exemption or a grazing exemption, you get a stamp, approved, right? You know what I'm talking about? Is, is this anyone? Is anyone following me, right? When we come to Jesus and we say, I, I can't, I've been trying so hard to be good enough, but I can't be good enough. 
Jesus, I need you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive me. I, I trust that you died on the cross and you paid for my sin and that you can give me your righteousness because I can't earn it on my own. That's when we're justified, stamped, approved, right? Because we go in front of the Father and the Father says, why should I let you into the new heavens and new earth? And if I give any other answer but Jesus, I'm wrong. But if I say, Jesus died and rose and he offered me repentance and new life, and I came to him. You know what the father sees? Not any of my good works or bad works. The father sees Jesus, his blood covering me. I'm stamped, approved. Ephesians 1 says, I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of my inheritance. That's what it means to be justified. You are legally made right. Yes. I didn't do anything to make myself right. Jesus did. Amen. So through him, I'm justified. But it doesn't stop there. It says now we're heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We became heirs of God after salvation. Not just that we call our heavenly father, father, but that he calls us sons and daughters. Yes. We're heirs, heirs of the promise. Everything Jesus will inherit, which is all things throughout the universe, we get to be co-heirs with him. Listen to what it says in John, the gospel of John chapter one. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Man, this is so good. We're once foolish, disobedient, hated by others and hating one another, but God, because of his loving kindness and this rich good news of the gospel, because he poured out the Holy Spirit, which renews and regenerates us because Jesus Christ gave righteousness, not that we earned it on our own. We are justified and heirs with him. Isn't that good, church? Yes. You gotta remember who you once were so you can appreciate who you are now. And you gotta remember who you are now that spurs you on and motivates you to live differently in front of people who are what? Watching. The world is what? This is interactive, guys. I'm gonna give you one more chance. The world is what? So we put our godliness on display, not anything we earn on our own or deserve. What we've been given freely in Christ, stamped, approved, justified, righteous. And we let other people see that because we want them to be in the same boat with Jesus. We want them to be heirs with Christ. And just before we close, I wanna show you a couple quick observations I love once again that, that Titus and the, the book of Titus is showing us that Jesus is equal to the Father. Did you see that? In the text, verse four, I would say this is referencing the Father, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. But look down there at verse six, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're justified by his grace. You see, Jesus is equal to the Father. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Gospels when he prayed, I and the Father are one. And then, this is so beautiful. It's not just the Father and Jesus, it's also the role of the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, three in one, that all play a role in salvation. You see it in 1 Peter at the introduction of that letter. You see it right here as well. The goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, that's the Father. Yet verse five says, according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. He's our 
helper, our comforter, our wonderful counselor. He's convicting us of sin and we run to the cross yet again and say, Jesus, I need you one more time. And then the role of Christ, that we're justified through Christ, that we become heirs by his grace. You see the role of the Father, the role of the Spirit, and the role of the Son. And what's the application? We're just overwhelmed with the gratitude that God has done so much for us that we could never do for ourselves. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to live for you differently. And Holy Spirit, would you convict me, Psalm 139. Search me and know me and see if there's any error in me. Because if there is, I want to lay that down at the cross and I want to run as hard as I can after Jesus. He's done great things. I could never repay him, but I can live for him. I want my life to count for his glory. I wonder if that resonates with any of the believers in the room this morning as we come to a close, what kind of prayer you might pray to have those kinds of things be true of your mind and your heart. We are gonna pray and this response time, I know know we're growing and you're getting to know me. I've only been here less than three months. I never want someone to come pray at the end of the service to show me some accolade. That's not, you can shake my hand and I'll say, praise God. But I so desperately want people to come and pray. I had one of our senior saints say, well, Pastor Aaron, I can't get on my knee. That's fine. Stand up, walk the aisle and sit on the front row and say, Lord, I need your help this week. Lord, I need your help this week. It is a physical sign of you moving it is a physical sign that says, I, 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 in front of my brothers and sisters, I don't care. I'm not thinking about what other people are thinking of me. I'm thinking about my walk with the Lord. There's nothing spiritual or magical about these steps or the front row, but it is a sign of declaration to say, I want to move in my walk with God. And I'm gonna come forward and I'm gonna ask for his help. If there's anything that you heard from the text today, whether you remember your old life and some of those things have creeped back in and you need to ask for forgiveness or whether you need to stand on what the Bible says you are in your new life. Say, God, just fill me with gratitude and passion, whatever it is. How would God change you today? Think of this final thought. We remember our past, present, and future Our past is who we once were, yet we're justified by the loving kindness of God, which is poured out by the Holy Spirit, a renewal, regeneration by the Spirit, that we are justified by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's who we once were, but in the present, we're called to live a life of good deeds, being salt and light, letting the gospel be on display. Believer in the room, how are you letting the gospel be on display? And then our future, we are waiting for our future hope eternal life in our future home, the new heavens and the new earth. I can't wait for the kingdom, but as I wait, I want to see his kingdom come and his will be done. That's That's the life of a believer. And if you're not in Christ, there's really good news. You came to a place where hundreds of people could tell you how to start a relationship with Jesus. You can come talk to a pastor. I'd be honored to talk to you, but you can also talk to anyone you came to church with and say, how do I start my relationship with Jesus? And, And you get that figured out before you leave the room. Right, it's good news that he died and rose because the bad news is your sin leads to death. But he said in Mark chapter one, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, therefore repent and believe. Just turn away from sin and say, Jesus, I'm turning away from that because I want to turn towards you. Make me new today. Would that be your response? I don't know what your response needs to be, but I do know this, that as we grow into health as a church, this time of response will become more and more and more important for us because we are physically saying in front of our brothers and sisters, God, I need you. 
How would you say that today? How would you let the, the, the truth of Titus change you as you walk with him?